today is a big day. Today's a big, not necessarily for everybody, but definitely for some people, it's a big day, right? How many of you guys uh, have Super Bowl plans? Anybody here? You got plans? Some of you guys are like, yeah, I plan to be sleeping through that or watching something else. And uh, I don't track a whole lot of sports. I do like the culture around it. But I know this, uh, you, when you read the news and you see the headlines, you realize people love to hate winners, don't they? They just love to hate it. I mean, how many guys are praying that the Patriots win? You're praying for them to win. Anybody here? How many guys are praying that they lose? You just like to see, like, okay, God, just I'd li- I, I won't mind. Like, I'd really like to just just see them lose. And, and it's nothing personal. It's just like there's something about us that people love to hate winners. And right now, the Patriots are the favorites to win today's game. They built a football dynasty, really. They, they have a, a, the rings to prove it, right? They've got a lot of ex- experience in history. And, and then the Eagles, of course, who they're playing against, they, they, uh, they worked hard to get here. And so even though they might be the underdog, I mean, these guys are, have done a, a great job. They've worked hard. They, they uh, put in the time, the effort. They've played well. They're all professionals. They're at that level. But clearly, one team is the giant, the other is the underdog there. So uh, the odds, and some say the refs, definitely are in the Patriots' favor. And so that's what's happening this afternoon. And the question will be, do the Eagles have what it takes to be Super Bowl champions? And many people would think the answer to that already is no. But we'll see. We'll see, right? Sometimes there's upsets, there's surprises that take place. Last year's Super Bowl was, uh, against all odds, something impossible happened there. And so maybe this is another year for that. Maybe it, maybe it is. We'll see. Well, I want to talk to you today about another unlikely hero, an unlikely hero. We know him as the underdog, David, in the story versus the giant Goliath, Right? His story has become the go-to metaphor for any time there's improbable victories from a, a, a weaker party against a, a, a stronger party, someone far stronger. David, the king of Israel, that's who we would know him as. He would go on to be considered the greatest king in Israel's history. When you read the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll see that he was not the first king. He was actually really the second king. He was the one that that God chose, but all other kings that came after him were compared to him. Over and over, when they would die, God would say something like, he walked in the ways of his father David or of King David, or he didn't walk in those ways. And so we see him high up on a pedestal at that point there. Uh, The whole nation loved David to the point where they would come out and celebrate and dance and bust out the tambourines and, and all the instruments and start singing when he returned to battle. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, it says, So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul was the current king at the time. But David, his, tens, his ten thousands. And so they're all rejoicing. You know, like, so, uh, what is it? Tomorrow morning there will be a, a parade going through some town right? Celebrating the Super Bowl champions. Everybody comes out, you know, the, the confetti's falling from the sky. People are celebrating. Well, that's what was happening when David came home from battle after fighting against the enemy Philistines and, and Goliath as well. In 1 Samuel 18.5, it says that he behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of 
of all the people. So you look at this and you see David. David's a winner. David's a champion. Now, I know that he has a, a checkered past when you look in you know, the, the, the grand scheme of things, right? And, and don't most people... Don't most people, I mean, the, the people, even, even you see this happening right now, the, the Patriots, they, they, they've got uh, so many wins under their belt and, and so many rings, so much victory, but it's, there's so many other people that like to point out their weaknesses, the inconsistencies, the conspiracy theories, right? And maybe some of them are true, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, you may track it more than me. But David, here he is, he's at the top of his game. But he wasn't always so popular. How did David get popular? How did he become the most well-known and well-loved and most respected king in all of Israel's history? Not just by the people, but God himself. If you look back to one of the defining moments in his life, you would know it as that battle against Goliath. So much so, it's such a defining moment, such a popular story, again, that, that people who have no clue that it actually comes from the Bible, they use that metaphor, David versus Goliath, all the time. God used the public defeat of Goliath to propel David to the forefront of recognition in all the eyes of Israel. This wasn't a private battle that he won. It was a very public battle, a battle that really wasn't his own. It was, it was someone else's, and he won a victory that wasn't for himself. It was for the nation. And God used that in the eyes of everybody to put him up there to this place of popularity. That's how he got there. But when you look at that story of David and Goliath, you think, wow, here's David, this, this underdog. And everybody, everybody found out what David was capable of after he defeated Goliath and then went into battle beyond that. They all saw what he was capable of, but they didn't know why. Why was David capable of taking down the giant? David was probably about 15 years old when he went to battle against Goliath. David was a little guy, maybe, you know, 15 years old. I mean, some of these 15-year-olds are taller than me. I don't know what you you parents are feeding them, but uh, Mike's son is 15, and he's taller than me already. But maybe David was, I I think he's probably on his way to being the perfect height, 5'8", and... um, so he was probably just up there. Any, any taller than that, you're just like a, a giant. Any shorter than that, like just, all right, 5'8", five 5'8". Eight, five eight. I know, Mary, and pray for me over there. But let's, let's compare David and Goliath for just a moment. David was young, right? He was young. Goliath, he was older and wiser. Again, why would David have the capability of taking out Goliath? David was inexperienced, but Goliath was fighting from the time of his youth. David was small and Goliath was, well, a giant, right? (laughs) David had no armor and yet Goliath was heavily armored. David had no sword. Goliath had multiple weapons. David had no training, no combat training. Goliath was a veteran, so it's a, there's an interesting verse when David is coming out to fight Goliath. Goliath looks at him and says, notices that here he is, he's young, and he's good looking. <laughs> and I just think it's so funny that Goliath is sitting there and he has a moment, you know, you're reading the Bible, and sometimes you got to laugh at some of the things the Bible says, like, like there's this intense battle scene starting to build up, and then the Goliath who comes out there is like, 
a good-looking kid. You know, like, like, why do you point that out? But the reality is, like, like why, would, why would the Bible point that out? Why would Goliath notice that? Well, if you're seeing some kid come out there who's good-looking, no scars on his face, no marks, you realize this guy's never been in a fight before. I mean, we're not talking about pretty boy Mayweather here who's never took a, a punch to the face, you know, 50 fights and all this. And, and, and this is, I mean, the reality is in these days, you've got scars. You're missing teeth. You've got, you know, uh, patches on your head and your body and, and ears missing. And it's just the way of the warrior. And da- David doesn't have any of that. He's good looking. The ladies loved him. He came out, and they're like, oh, you know, here he is. And, and, and Goliath even notices this. He's like, this guy, he's lunch meat. He really, like, he has no chance against me. But if you, if you take a moment and you look a little bit more at the story, you see that David, though he is the underdog, he did have a lot of things in his favor against the giant. And this is important because you might be facing some things in your life that seem gigantic, and if you're not careful, you'll look at the size of the giant and you'll, you'll, miss, uh, you'll miss what's on the inside of you. You'll magnify the giant and you'll minimize the God, the God who has chosen you and called you and placed you in a situation. And you'll only look at the size of the, the challenge or the problem. When we compare David to Goliath, let's reverse this a little bit. David was quick, right? Goliath, he's big and slow. David had no past failure to avoid, right? He didn't have it. He, you ever get into some, uh, some, some situation with somebody who's inexperienced and they throw out some ideas of, we could do this, this, and this, and you're like, you have no clue what you're talking about. Like, we've tried that, we've done that, it doesn't work. Now, wisdom and experience does help you avoid failures, but the, pro- the, the problem is you can be afraid to try something new because of past failure. You could be afraid to change things up because of past failure. David had no past failure. He, did, he never got his butt kicked before except for maybe by his brothers, right? But he had never gone to battle against a giant before. He wasn't a man of, of war out there fighting. So he's just thinking like, we could do this, right? We could do this. And he had no reason to think he couldn't. But Goliath, on the other, other hand, his past success, it led to an overconfidence. See, he had won these battles before. No one, he's undefeated. He was the champion for the Philistines. He would go out, and by the way, this is how they would oftentimes do battle. Both sides would line up against each other, and and they had a decision to make. Either we all go fight against each other, and there's a lot of, uh, of blood, or else we just send one of our best against one of your best, and that just settles it. And so that's why Goliath was coming out from the Philistine side and saying, send me a man to fight with, send me a man to fight with. And so Goliath had all this experience. Nobody had ever beaten him before. And so he's out there and he's thinking, uh, I've got this. I'm, I'm confident, but his past successes led to overconfidence. Uh, David, not only was he quick, but he was also nimble. But uh, you know he didn't have the armor. When he said, I'll go fight him, King Saul said, here, put my armor on. Well, David, you know, this kid puts big, tall Saul's armor on, and he's like, I can't fight in this, you know? Like, I don't know. I'm sure you're trying to get me to do this new thing in the old way, and I don't even know how to function that way. 
And so he takes all of that off, and he's able to run and be nimble, where Goliath has hundreds of pounds of, of protective armor on him, right? So, so that slowed him down. It weighed him down. Uh, David was unconventional in his warfare. He went out with a stick and a sling. That's not how you go out to battle, with a stick and a sling. In fact, Goliath said, what are you, some boy? What, or what, am I, do you think I'm a dog? You come against me with sticks? Like, what, what do you even think? And so Goliath is looking at this, and Goliath has operational blindness, whereas he's saying, that's not how we do battle. I am ready to fight in this certain way that we always fight. But David comes out, and he's very unconventional. And by reframing the problem and approaching it in a different way, he threw the giant off. The giant was probably sitting there stunned, and instead of getting ready to fight, he's sitting there wondering, what is this kid doing? Sometimes we have to approach a problem in a different way, and we can't fight the enemy on his terms. Do you know that? I love this about politicians. They never answer the question that's asked of them. How many of you guys love that? Like, just answer the question. But the reality is, they are not unable to answer the question. They are bringing the answer that they want to bring because they're not fighting on the reporter's terms. Now, I don't really love that about politicians, but I do love that about battles that I fight because I don't have to fight on the enemy's terms. He doesn't define how we're going to battle because guess what? He'll always tip it in his favor. And your enemy will want to fight against you, but put it in his favor. David took a different approach, and it threw the enemy off. David came out there, and David was a projectile warrior, whereas Goliath was the infantry. Now, this, some people think, well, David just beat the guy with, with a sling, and Goliath had a sword. Guess what? Sling beats sword every single time, every single time, unless you go hand-to-hand. This is, this is important to understand is that David, yeah, he, he was little, but he didn't have to fight him hand to hand. He had a weapon yeah. in his arsenal that was going to allow him to not even get up close to Goliath and defeat him. And these guys with these slings, I mean, even, even today, these shepherds who practice with it, some say that they can hit a bird out of the air. They're that accurate. And they get that thing swinging around, you know, seven, six or seven times per second, and they throw it. It's like a gun. And so Goliath, you know, it, it, here's the deal. Gun beats sword every time. Gun beats sword every time. Gun beats knife every time unless you get up close. Unless you get up close. And, and if you're within 10 feet of somebody and you have a knife and they have a gun, you might, you'll probably win if you have the knife because you can move so quick before they even pull out a gun, right? You can move so quick, they don't even have time to react, by the way, that's why so often you'll, you'll hear about uh, somebody, somebody either in self-protection or maybe a police officer shot someone with a knife, and they say, well, why'd they shoot him if he had a knife and you had a gun? The rea- because, because law enforcement officers and anyone who has weapons training knows that if they have that knife, they can close the gap so fast, way before you have the ability to, to defend yourself. And so that knife isn't some you know, uh, little toy to play with. And, and by the way, no, you can't shoot their kneecap. You can't shoot the knife out of the hand. You know, you can't do all those. Why couldn't you just shoot them in the foot, you know, so they trip and then you go and kick the knife out? You cannot do that. No one can do that. No one, they can do it on TV, but no one can do that. 
They can't, under that pressure, it, it doesn't happen. You, can't, you, you have to disarm the target. David knew this. David would have had no chance fighting him hand to hand. David knew, I don't, I'm not going to get close enough. I'm going to grab five smooth stones in case I miss with the first one. I don't think I'm going to, right? And, he, and he, on his way, he's running towards Goliath while Goliath is wondering what in the world is happening. Here's another advantage David had. David had faith in a covenant-keeping God. David had faith in a covenant-keeping God. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when you're reading the story about how they start mocking each other. David and Goliath, they're, they're, fight, they're, they're talking trash to each other, which is normal before a fight. It's every good fight includes some trash talk. And um, when you look at this in, in, I don't think I have the scriptures up for you, but, but 1 Samuel 17 says this, the Philistine came to David, am I a dog that you came to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Um, Goliath had trust in his, his false gods and a whole lot of confidence in himself. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, will you come to me with a sword? And with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you not with a, a sling and a stick. He said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Listen to this. He's not saying that I'm just coming to you because I'm a really good slinger. He's saying, I'm coming to you backed up by the God of the armies of heaven. I'm coming to you in his name and his authority. I have trust that God is on my side. And you're not just coming against me. You're coming against God and against all his people. This is the perspective that David had. This is important because there's no indication in this story that when David slung that rock, if that's how you would say it, when he slung that rock, that God intervened to you know, make the rock just you know, weave around and just hit him just right. There's no indication of that. David was skilled. He was a, a shepherd. He would have to protect the sheep. He'd be out there, you know, when he's not playing the harp or feeding the sheep or whatever. He's slinging rocks and he's practicing all day long. He's got skill. The question isn't, could David have hit Goliath and killed him, you know, in battle? The question is, would he have even done it had it not been for his confidence in the Lord? Yeah. He had the ability, but did, would he have had the will? And David had the will because he had faith in a covenant-keeping God. David said to him, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I'll take your head from you. I love that. That's like, you can tell he's a teenager. I'm going to kick your butt and all y'all, right? I'm going to rip off your head. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to... He's just like, let's take it one step further. It's like, David, come on. You're acting junior high-ish here. Just go fight. But he really is seeing the victory already and speaking this out. And by the way, when you get into battles, and now, now I'm not talking about with your spouse, your brother, your sister, your boss. I'm not saying, I'm going to kick your butt and rip your head off. I don't say that. Don't say that. Don't post it on Facebook. Don't tell your friends. Don't do any of that stuff. But I am saying, when you come against adversity in life, you choose the words you say, and you determine that you're going to speak what the victory looks like. Because so often, we're faced with hard times in life, and we start to talk about how it's going to take us out. 
man, if this economy goes down, we're, we're, we're done. If we don't get more sales at work, we're out of business. Man, if something doesn't change here, my, my family is going to split up. If, if, if I don't get a, a, a better job, we're going to be out on the street. We start talking defeat, and you have the choice to talk victory or defeat. The choice is yours. It's your mouth. It's your words. It's your future. And you can focus on what Goliath is telling you and how bad it's going to be for you and how he's going to feed your, you know, your uh, carcass to the birds of the air or whatever. You can focus on that and agree with that. Or you can come into agreement with what God says and say, no, victory belongs to the Lord. And this day, I'm going to walk in victory. Amen? That's a good place. I don't even care if you say amen outside of church. That's a good place in church to say amen right there. You're like, I'll say amen to that. Amen. That is good right there. So he goes on. He says, I'm going to rip your head from you. And this day, I'm going to give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. There's this confidence. There's this faith. And he's not even, though he is skilled, he's not looking at his own ability. He's still looking at the Lord. He's still looking to the Lord. That, but here, here's one other thing. There's one other thing. By the way, that would be a great message if I just wrapped it up right there and you, you got that and you said, okay, I am going to look to the Lord for my victory and I'm going to change the way I talk about adversity. That would help you right there. You will talk about your adversity one way or the other. You will talk about it. The choice is yours on how you talk about it. Reframe the problem. Reframe it. And don't fight on its terms and think, okay, if my uh, enemy will be nice and show me mercy, then I'll win. Because your enemy will not show you mercy. That's why he's your enemy and not your friend, unless it's your frenemy. (laughs) And then you don't know which way they're going to go. Here's one more thing about David. Don't laugh too long. When, when I was a kid, I told all my friends, I said, I want to be a comedian, and they just laughed at me. I thought, oh, well, forget that then. David had potent, God-given potential. That one will show up a little bit later for some of you, like, oh, wait, I get what he said. David had God-given potential. That's the difference for David. He had God-given potential. You remember last week we talked about what the Lord is telling us to do, to unlock the God-given potential of every man and woman, you could even say, and child, in Kalamazoo, to, to impact our city and reach our world. David had God-given potential on the inside. We know David as the king. We know him as the one who had victory. We know him as the one who defeated Goliath. But what got him there? You think David just got up someday and said, I'm going to go fight against Goliath? and I'm going to take that guy down, the whole army of Israel was scared. What was it about David that set him apart? What was it about David that brought him to the forefront and enabled him to win a victory that affected the whole nation? Because David was just a shepherd boy. David said this later on when he was offered Saul's daughter. He said, my family's poor, and we're like the least in Israel. We have nothing to offer. Like, I don't come from any greatness. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, God told Samuel, before all of this happened with David and Goliath, he told Samuel, who was a prophet, he said, Saul has turned his back on me, but I have provided for myself a king. See, God looked and he chose David. He said, I've provided for myself a king. And then if you keep reading in, in chapter 16, you'll see this, that God tells Samuel, he says, go and anoint him as king. And Samuel says, if I go and anoint him as king, then the current king is going to kill me because I'm kind of like, you know, undermining the current king. And God says, and when you go, <laughs> take oil with you. And Samuel said, did you not hear me, God? And God said, and on your way, <laughs> this is what you're going to do. Go to Bethlehem. There was another king born in Bethlehem, by the way, later on. But we see this. So, so Samuel goes, and he um, brings the oil, goes to Bethlehem. People said, do you come in peace? He said, yeah, I've come in peace. Verse 5, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. And Samuel, the prophet, looked at him and thought, this is the guy who's going to be king. This is the one God sent to me. I mean, he's good looking. He's tall. He's got the goods. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know what causes others to gush about somebody does not move God. When you look at someone who's talented or gifted and you look at somebody who just is experienced and you look up to them, that doesn't move God. God doesn't look at them and say, well, that's why you know, I'm going to use them because of everything they have to offer. And by the way, what, others would, what would cause others to say no to you about, that doesn't limit God. Sometimes you have marks in your past. Sometimes you have a file this thick. Sometimes you have all kinds of experience that says you're a failure, you're not going to make it, you've tried, you have zero to offer. And God looks at you and says, but that doesn't limit me. That's not going to move me. So God's telling Samuel this, I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. If you continue to read, another son comes, and, and God says, not this one. Another one comes, nope. Another one, uh-uh. Another one, no way. Uh-uh, no way, not, not that one. No sorry, Bob. He's telling him this, and Samuel goes through every one of the kids that Jesse brought, seven of his sons. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent, and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Why didn't De Jesse, David's dad, invite David in the first place? When Samuel said, bring all your sons, why would Jesse overlook his youngest son? 
And he gathered all the other ones and said, hey, today's the day of the feast and we're, we're going to you know, be presented before the prophet. Maybe one of you has the potential to be chosen by God. Why would he neglect number eight? Why would he overlook them? You know, in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, it says this, Behold, David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Some people look at that and think, well, he's being poetic and he's talking about sin nature. But there's many people who would say there's a good chance that David was Jesse's bastard, that he was an illegitimate son, that all the rest of these guys were of the line of Jesse. They were well um, received as a family. But this one, he's kind of the, the black sheep. He's kind of the, the one who we don't talk about, you know, how he came into the family. I know he kind of looks like the rest of us, but he doesn't fully look like the rest of us. And so here's David, who's growing up his whole life with a question of the legitimacy of his birth, like another king who would come from Bethlehem. Even to the point where his own dad said, he has no potential, he has no future, we'll leave him out there in the sheep. I wonder if there's people that have overlooked you. I wonder if you've been kind of pushed to the side, marginalized because of whatever reason. Maybe it's happened in your family. Maybe it's happened by a teacher. Maybe it's happened at work. Maybe your own spouse or a friend or someone who's just, you, you think that you have what it takes and then they uh, affirm that you do not, Right? They let you know you don't, and you go over there, you're last to be picked or not picked at all. That's David. That's the giant slayer. That's the one that God said in Acts 13, 22, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You see, it was at this point that we go back to verse 13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Why did David defeat Goliath? David had some potential, some God-given potential on the inside. David had a call of God on the inside of him. David had the anointing. The anointing took place when Samuel took all this oil, and this was common for them when they would anoint someone to become king, sort of like the inauguration or, or uh, this, you know, swearing in or whatever. It's kind of like that, but they would just pour oil and saying, you're being set apart as something. And it represented the Spirit of God coming on your life. And the Bible says that, that from that day forward, the Spirit of God, the supernatural person and power of God, came upon David's very natural and limited life. And we don't know how long it was that he went back out to feed the sheep and take care of the sheep, but that's what he did. And here's somebody out there in the sheepfold with the potential and the call to be king, he had unlocked potential on the inside of him. This is who God had chosen. You think that the anointing would have come on David after he defeated Goliath, or after he became king, or after he led to the victory. Sometimes you think God's approval will come on you after you've done well. 
The anointing doesn't come on you after you finished the work. The anointing comes on you to finish the work. The, the grace and the approval and the help of God doesn't come on you when you've done well. It comes on you before that so you could do well. The presence of God is not, doesn't come alongside to, to confirm that, oh yeah, you've got what it takes. No, the presence of God comes into your life to give you what it takes. That's what we saw with David right here, that even when he was a shepherd boy, that same David who was the king of Israel for 40 years and led them into total victory was the same David who, was the, who went against the, the, the giant and defeated him. That was the same David that was out there caring for sheep. That was the same David who was overlooked. You see, David was the same person. What changed was the call of God on his life. And then the opportunity for that to be unlocked. What I want you to know is this, that God has placed potential on the inside of you. He really has. We're not talking about one among brothers here. I'm talking about God has chosen his people, you. And he has placed potential inside of you. That he brings certain people into your life to identify that. There are people that... God has for you, has either brought into your life or will, or he's trying to, like Samuel, to identify that in you. And that adversity can act as a means of verifying the call of God on your life, because that's what David faced. So as we wrap this up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to answer this, figure this out. Who's your Samuel? Who is your Samuel? Who is speaking into your life? Who is the one who is speaking faith and, and confidence and victory into your life? Who is the one who's challenging you to make adjustments for your well-being? Who is the one who has taken you under their wing and said, I'm going to pray with you, I'm going to believe with you, I'm going to help you through this? Who's your Samuel? Who is speaking uh, these words from heaven over you? And then a follow-up question to that is, have you received them? Have you received their words? I know there's people God is, is, brings to our church, and I'm the pastor, and, and yet they don't receive the words, and they come every week. They come on a regular basis, and I think, I'm not, I'm not doing this you know, I, just because I love the sound of my voice. I don't love the sound of my voice. I like the sound of... Pastor Carl's voice. I love the sound of Earl Jones, whatever. I, you know, I, I like the, I said his name wrong, but I, I like other people's voice, not my junior high voice. I like Goliath's voice, you know, like, not, hey, I'm going to kill you, not David. <laughs> but here's the deal. Have you received their words? Are you letting people speak into your life and challenge you? This is how you know. When's the last time you were corrected? And you received it. And you said, you know what? You're right. Not by your spouse. Because you're like, I was corrected on the way to church three times. <laughs> and that might help. Here's the next question. Or here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to listen to them. That's what I want you to do. Next question is, who's your David? Who's your David? Who are you investing in? Seriously. Who are you mentoring who are you pouring your life into? Who's that young dad or that young mom or that, that kid or, or the, the one who nobody really uh, talks to at school? 
Who's that one on the outside? Who are you investing your life into, pouring yourself into? Look for them. Look for that David. God has a David for you. And the last question is, now you should write these down. Studies prove that if people who take notes in church make their pastor feel better when he preaches. <laughs> it's an informal study. Last thing is, what's your Goliath? No, it's not who. I didn't say who. I said what. What's your Goliath? What's taunting you? What's trying to defeat you? What's tempting you to quit? What's telling you to give up? Go home. Stop trying. You're going to embarrass yourself. You don't have what it takes. They'll laugh at you. You'll be found out to be a fraud. Who's telling you those things? What's your Goliath? What's this challenge in your life? What's the, the adversity, the difficulty, the limitation, the history, the generational pattern or curse? What, what is that in your life? Here's my counsel to you. Beat him. Defeat him. Defeat that. Have victory. Determine in your heart you will win that battle. Failure is not an option for you. You will not. Why is that? Because the God of heaven, the God of, uh, of the armies of heaven will defeat you. He's on my side. He's on my side. You tell the enemy that. You tell Goliath that. You tell that challenge that. God is on my side. I, I, he always leads me into victory. Beat him. So much is riding on this. The last verse. So much is riding on it that you win. Because in chapter 13, verse 23, following up to the man after God's own heart, it says this, he raised up for them David as king to whom he gave the testimony. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. What was on the inside of him, that God-given potential? that generations later, God would raise up a Savior. So much was riding on Samuel unlocking that God-given potential and David walking it out so that later on, generations from his lineage, Jesus would be raised up. And not only for the benefit of Israel, but for the salvation of the world. So much is riding on you understanding the God-given potential in you, letting that be unlocked, and then doing the same for others, for future generations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We bless you. Would you tell them, God, I receive your word. You are more than able to defeat the giants in my life. So I place my trust in you, and with confidence... I declare that victory belongs to me. I will not fear. I will not worry. And I will not talk defeat. I'll give you all the praise. All eyes will see that God is for me. In your precious name, amen. Hey, for one more moment, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to do this with you right now. There may be some people in here who, who don't know Jesus. We don't want you to leave without coming into a, a, a being introduced to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so if you've never prayed to receive Jesus into your life, would you just simply say something like this? Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you paid for my sins 
And right now I ask you to forgive me, to come into my life and to, to give me a fresh start. I believe you rose again to give me a new life. And so today, Lord, I start this relationship with you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Let's give God thanks and praise.